0: One in 400,000 babies that is born each year is born with a malady called SCID, which stands for Severe Combined Immunodeficiency Disease. It essentially leaves the child with no immune system whatever to fight germs, bacteria, viruses, these things that are constantly attacking us. And over the ages for such children, life has been rather short and continually fraught with danger because we are always and continually surrounded by these dangers to our lives. In the 70s, this became a much more well-known thing when a young man named David, who became known as Bubble Boy, was in the news and had a movie made about him and this sort of thing. This boy had lived most of his life at the time of his death, in a completely sterile environment, essentially a bubble devoid of anything that could harm him. Thankfully, today we are now developing things where we can treat this. Uh, A bone marrow transplant, usually from a healthy brother or sister, seems to replace the faulty immune system with a working one. And, of course, as a minister, I hear that, and I say, let's first give thanks to God for that wonderful uh, step forward in medical science, but also, wow, that will preach. The bone marrow transplant takes the person who is completely open to the attacks always around them. Spiritually, these would not be germs, bacteria, and viruses, but the world, the flesh, and the devil, and gives in its place a true robust system of defense. And yet, if we as God's children having even received that bone marrow transplant or the blood of Christ upon us, if we walk around without the armor of God that we've been studying, it's almost like we are in that same situation of being completely prone, vulnerable to any attack and these things that are always around us, even these things that we cannot see. Now, last week, we looked at the belt of truth, which girds our loins, the first thing that would be put on uh, by a Roman soldier. And we talked about how this is the the uh, core support and the foundation of all the rest. There was the belt with the, the hanging beltea that was on the outside, but probably what Paul had in view was the leather girdle that was put on first, uh, to which was attached the rest of the armor. Today, we look at the breastplate ...of righteousness, which is then placed on over the torso. And I have to say, I do hate it when sermons just become like word studies... Uh, That's not the purpose of preaching, but sometimes you really do have to dig into a term and have a look at it to understand it, and sometimes it's just kind of fun. So we're going to look at these terms for a minute. It's just two words in the Greek. There's not even an of. It is the breastplate of righteousness. Beginning with breastplate, let's talk about the Greek because it's a Greek word you already know. Does anyone, can anyone tell me off the top of their head? Breastplate in Greek. Think insect. Thorax! That's right! Thorax is the Greek word for breastplate. And when you look at a bug and think about what part of it is the thorax, it's obviously uh, just drawing on, oh, that looks like this bug's wearing, like, armor. Which is kind of a cute idea. But the thorax, the, the armor that covered the body from the neck down to the thighs, could take many different forms over the years. In Old Testament times, the Hebrew word was shiryon, and it was a coat of mail, a, a sleeveless protective garment, Uh, that again covered from the the shoulders, even maybe some of the neck, all the way down either to the waist or down to the thighs. And it was made of metal scales, overlapping and kind of interlocking. It made the guy look kind of like a a fish in that area. Uh, there were, there were, flexible so that you could move around in battle but also very much protected the wearer from an arrow a spear a sword that might happen to come his way goliath had a bronze coat of mail a shirion that was uh it was said to weigh 150 pounds that he put this thing on even goliath covered his torso didn't cover his forehead rookie move but his torso was okay then about 500 years before christ the Greeks were sitting around in a bathhouse somewhere, and someone said, you know, I wish I could show off my six-pack abs during battle. And someone said, I have the craziest idea. What if we develop armor that looks like ripped muscles? And what we find is that these, these uh, thoraxes uh, kind of morph into a breastplate of molded bronze or iron uh, or, or hardened boiled leather that looks like and is formed to the torso of probably a kind of photoshop version of the torso of the guy wearing it Uh, and it was connected by leather straps and metal bands you'd have one piece on the front one piece on the back Uh, two-part kind of like the belt of truth and by the time uh, paul is looking at roman soldiers for much of his life because they are keeping him prisoner the Roman legionnaire had a number of different kinds of armor they might wear on their torso. They still wore the fish scale kind of stuff, which I think is interesting that that lasted for for thousands of years. It was called a lorica squamata. You'd often see this if you even look at the reliefs and statues of Roman soldiers. They've got the the little fish scales all over and they would actually be attached to a linen shirt and just very tightly overlapped so that they offered some sort of uh, defense more common was what was called the lorica segmentata and this you can probably draw to mind segment you hear that segmented armor bands of kind of shiny metal right then they would overlap and and these would be horizontal over the torso and then there would be some going vertically over the shoulders and that offered a great deal of defense against whatever might get past your giant Roman shield if you happen to mess up for a moment there. If you were rich or very high ranking, say a centurion, then there was another kind of armor called the Lorica Hamata. And this was chainmail. And we're all familiar with chainmail. Many people are surprised to learn that in the Roman army, there was already chainmail. We think of this as a, a kind of British, English knights kind of thing much later. I've got some chainmail right here. Uh, it's made of a whole bunch of little rings interlocked in a particular pattern. Uh, this was made by Brandon Wilson, and he, he said it takes three months. He's made entire coats of mail. And it's just, I mean, if you look at one of these rings, there's nothing to it. But the way that they're put together, it becomes incredibly strong, this is a British weave, he told me, but quite similar to what a Roman soldier would wear because the way that they learned about chainmail was they fought the Celts and went, uh-oh, they've got something we don't, and then immediately copied it and said, oh no, we came up with that. Uh, but the idea of chainmail, this this incredibly movable and relatively lighter thing that you could wear that would defend you all the more uh, from an attack than any of these other things that had come before it normally would also have small plates of metal involved and be rather elaborate they were super expensive and again you had to be kind of a higher up to have it so we know from following paul's adventures through the book of acts that he had seen all this stuff he'd been with centurions for quite a while especially lucius He'd been with regular soldiers, grabbing them, bringing them onto boats, and, and bringing them out for trial, and we don't know exactly what he had in mind, because this word thorax could refer to any of those things, but we do know that he had in mind something that allowed for the, the user to wear it in battle, move in battle, be light on his feet, and covered both the front and the back from, from attack. So that's the word thorax, the breastplate. Then there's the word Righteousness. This is the word dikaisune, it's probably if you're learning Greek in seminary or Bible college or just uh, from a podcast or whatever, if you're learning biblical Greek, this is one of the first words you learn, because it is one of the most common words in the whole New Testament. And yet, it's an incredibly broad word, versatile word, with a lot of possible meanings. It can mean the principle of righteousness. It can mean the practice of righteousness. The living a holy life, taking the principle and putting it to use. Or, in the New Testament, it often means the payment for our sins. Our justification by God's grace through our faith that then declares us righteous. I think I sort of buried that there, but I had three Ps. Did you hear the Ps? Principle, practice, payment. You know what? Why do I do that? It's a, it's a compulsion for Baptist prayer. Once in a while, we got to let it out. But but we read this and we think, well, what, what kind of righteousness is the breastplate then? Is this talking about the idea of righteousness? We have to kind of put that on? That's sort of what the Pharisees did, right? I've got the idea of righteousness on, on the outside. That's what you see. That can't be it. Is it the practice of righteousness or is it the justification, the righteousness of God imputed to us? That's the gospel, right? Christ's righteousness imputed into you, credited to you by faith by God's grace through the faith of the sinner. We read about this in Romans 1 for the gospel uh, for in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written the righteous will live by faith and then in chapter 3 this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no distinction. And so for us to be righteous at all Christianity's core the thing that you can't change at all, or you don't have Christianity anymore, is that we must be clothed with righteousness by God on, on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross and rising from the dead. And this goes all the way back to the garden, right? What happens in the garden? Well, Adam and Eve eat from the fruit. They are taken in by the schemes of the devil, which is what we've been talking about uh, kind of under the surface for the last few weeks. And suddenly said, we're naked. And they had shame. They'd been naked already, but they didn't have shame because they had nothing to hide spiritually. Now they did. And what did they do to deal with the nakedness? You're Baptist, just shout it out. (laughs) Leaves, fig leaves. Let's just tie them together. We'll make like little, man. Can you imagine how weird and awkward that would have been? Yeah, they put it and God was like, what are you doing? I'll deal with this and he gave them skins to wear. So now we have the idea of the shedding of blood to deal with sin. We have the idea of God having to cover our uh, shame and and wickedness and, and actually give us righteousness. That is part and parcel of biblical truth from the very beginning, from the book of Genesis. We must be clothed with this righteousness. Isaiah 61 I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Receiving this righteousness means abandoning any trust, any reliance on our own works of righteousness. Righteousness. And recognizing that they are what Paul said they were in retrospect, in hindsight, scubala, a pile of manure. All my works of righteousness are getting me nowhere. That is what it means to have imputed righteousness. And the world wants to play games with righteousness. And even in the church, we often want to do this kind of relative righteousness. I'm a little more righteous than this person. We like to think about people who fall short of where we are. Rather than think about the the truth of Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember Saul in 1 Samuel 24 saying to David, you're more righteous than I. And it's like, yeah, everyone's more righteous than you, God. But you're more righteous than I. We've got this game of who's more righteous than the other. How do we square that with Romans 3.10? As it is written, there was no one righteous, not even one. Well, one is talking about relative righteousness. One is talking about absolute righteousness. We see that difference in our world today. Do we deal with the idea of relativism? i just let kind of the culture and, and people together looking at each other decide what's right and wrong, or is there absolute truth? Oh, we kind of already dealt with that, with the belt of truth, but situational morality versus objective truth. The objective truth is, is who God is. He is truth. It's one of his perfections. Therefore, it is part of his identity. And so, yes, you must be clothed with the righteousness of Christ if you will have any righteousness at all. And someone might read this and say, okay, then taken care of. I put my faith in Jesus. I already received that righteousness. I've been clothed with that righteousness. I'm justified. I'm all set. Next. But hold on. He doesn't say you've already been draped with the righteousness of God. He says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That means Christ's righteousness, yes, is imputed to us, speaking in legal terms, so that we can stand before him and not be uh, consumed by his wrath or his holiness, and yet there is a sense in which we choose to put it on for battle in the everyday. Second Corinthians 6, Paul refers to the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left hand. Righteousness is not just some passive thing we get, it's something that we have to put our hand to which means in biblical parlance put our effort to live our life with an eye to and and actually carry out We've seen this already in Ephesians. We're in chapter six, but go back to chapter four. He says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You didn't make the new self, but you have to put it on in order to walk out the door and withstand the evil day. And then look at chapter five. For you were once darkness, but now you are light and the Lord live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness righteousness and truth so we live in the light because we've been granted and imputed the righteousness of christ but it's also the fruit of the light it's the root and the fruit here so imputed righteousness what we receive becomes realized righteousness what we live out when we put on the breastplate many christians don't want to put it on they want to hang on to it it reminds me of kind of a sad story, sad memory for me that probably will sound funny to you. I, I remember one year, my grandma Bartles, who had a, I want to get the number right, uh, 200,000 grandchildren. Uh, my, my dad was one of 10 kids, and they were, you know, Dutch reform, West Michigan people, and they were just like, we can't stop cranking out grandkids for you. And so she was not a wealthy woman at all. Uh, And she couldn't afford to buy Christmas presents for all of us. We would rent a big hall for a Christmas party. And one year, she starts just handing out wrapped presents to all the grandkids. And we were all like, oh my goodness, presents to open? This is new at this party. And every one of the boys who opened it pulled out a kind of baby blue crocheted sweater vest, which is the most adorable thing in the world. I mean, how long must it have taken Grandma Bartles to do all of these sweater vests? And I remember we all took them out, and I remember especially my cousin Michael, who was like a hardcore, like, army cowboy farmer guy, he's just a really tough guy, looking at each other like, you putting this on? And then looking at our parents, who were like, you're putting it on. And we put it on, but we went out, we were running around outside, and I remember one of our older cousins, uh, Tanya, came out and said, that was just a love gift, though, right? You guys aren't going to wear that to school or anything. I'm a little worried about you if you do. And we said, yeah, yeah, we're not going to wear it. We're just wearing it so Grandma feels good. And then we got home. We folded it up, put it away. And every once in a while, I'd see it in my drawer and think, I feel bad. I should wear this. She went to all this effort to make this for me. And finally, one day, I was like, you know what? I'm doing it. I don't care. And I went to put it on, and it was just it was way too small. I'd waited way too long. I had just kept it in the drawer. This, I think, is how many believers... Think of righteousness. God gave it to me. Great, I've got it for when I need it, if I want it, but I'm just going to set it aside. And then approach my life in this crazy way that says, let's go on sinning that grace may increase. That's what it means to not put on the righteousness that we have in him. And yes, the breastplate protected the vital organs, and I think that that is intentional, that that's the the piece of armor that he chooses to describe as righteousness. Righteousness. It's it's protecting the heart, the the will, if you will. Physically, it would protect the lungs and, and whatever else is in here. Lisa, you probably know more stuff. But at the same time, we have to remember that a, a an analogy, a metaphor, is not one for one. Because the breastplate was a hard shell on the outside that kept things from getting in. The righteousness that we put on is not merely an external shell in outer righteousness. This is, this is what Jesus condemned when he said to the Pharisees, you're like a, a dirty bowl and the outside is washed spotless clean, but inside it's filthy and putrid. Now this is Christ's armor we're wearing. So we're not wearing our own human righteousness, Pharisaical righteousness. This is a whole different substance we're putting on. It's like going from, from wearing armor that's made out of paper or cardboard to armor that's made out of kevlar and platinum and diamonds or something that's just impenetrable it's a different substance all together remember i said this word righteousness can signify the principle of righteousness the practice of righteousness and the price paid for right you see how the best alliteration gets you wet um but but these three things are not actually at odds when we think about putting on the breastplate of righteousness for the Christian, because it's Christ's righteousness we put on, it's Christ's armor from Isaiah 59 that we are allowed to wear. Because of that, there's no difference between the righteousness we receive from Christ and the righteousness that we put on and wear into battle in our everyday lives as we strive to be holy. That's a common misunderstanding, I think. It's, it's Christ's righteousness which justifies me. But then it's my righteousness that sanctifies me. Digging down deep and trying to find the goodness in my heart. No, it's still Christ's righteousness that sanctifies me. More and more, the two are indiscernible, but it's going to be rooted in the character of Christ. The life of godliness that Christ lived on our behalf. The death uh, as a sinner, but without sin that he died. And the victorious resurrection from the dead by which we are justified This is also the power behind our being sanctified. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 5 when he said, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will not even see the kingdom of heaven. He didn't mean it needs to exceed it that you have more than they do, but rather you have a different kind altogether than what they have. And this all draws again from Isaiah 59, this picture of the coming Messiah. We read, He saw that there was no one, and He was appalled that there was no one to intervene, so His own arm worked salvation, and His own righteousness sustained Him. He put on righteousness as His breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. Here we see the Messiah putting on the spiritual armor, including the breastplate of righteousness, to go out as a mighty warrior and redeem his people and bring about justice. And so in that picture, his character is his defense. And for us who follow him, his character is our defense as well. His righteousness is our defense, not our own righteousness. And this is something we have that no one else does. Unregenerate men and women try their entire lives to put on true righteousness, but it's just a mirage. It's not that they can't get it to stay on, it's that they can't even get their hands on it. It's an idea, an ideal, it's unattainable. But for those of us who are in Christ, it's something we possess. We opened the gift and went, ah, I don't think I'm really going to wear this much. Maybe the first day just to make Jesus feel good and then put it in the drawer. This is something we possess, a real tangible thing. Why on earth would we rely on something less? Our own human attempts at keeping either God's law or the, the rules and values of our culture, our own deceitful wicked hearts, our God-hating world around us. There's, theres It makes no sense. It, it boggles the mind that we would do this. Now, I know some pastors who have to keep themselves from using sports analogies every week, week after week. I keep myself from doing it as well, I have to say. Some, they, they, they say, all right, my wife tells me to cool it on the Civil War battle references in sermon illustrations. For me, you guys, it's comic book stuff. I always think, oh, that's just like, and then I have to go, no one's going to relate to that. But it's getting more and more mainstream, and this really calls to mind that Captain America show that's been on Disney+. Plus. Uh, and there's a new Captain America. It's Falcon and Winter Soldier, if you keep track. There's a new Captain America. And, and he's got the shield from the old Captain America. It's made of vibranium, which is a metal that basically can't be broken by anything other than more vibranium. And he gets it, and he's out fighting, and he, he mild spoilers, he messes up, and they take the shield away. And at the end of one episode, you see him in like a a metallurgy shop of some kind that he happens to have access to, like forging a new Captain America shield. And it's really cool. It almost gives you, you know, goosebumps until the next episode when he pulls it out in battle. And because it's just made out of whatever, not vibranium, it's immediately just shattered and broken and forgotten. And you go, oh yeah, that looked like the real thing, but it was no use whatsoever. It's not vibranium. It just, it, it just looked like it was powerful. In the same way, our own righteousness often looks like the real thing. This is what Jesus was calling out when he called people hypocrites, which means play actors. You look righteous, but once you have this, this God view to look inside, we see that it's not. And if we just had this verse, and that's all the Bible said about righteousness, we would be sunk and kind of hopeless. If we had to forge our own uh, breastplate, right? If we if we had to make our own righteousness one ring at a time and put it together and wear it for our own defense. Perhaps a better illustration comes from the Bible, not Marvel superheroes, I don't know. You, you, You remember how during the period of the judges, it was the very end of what was called the Bronze Age. Metal and armor and everything, tools, implements, it was almost all exclusively bronze. It was the best they could do. Then, by the time of King David's reign, we're at the beginning of the Iron Age. Weapons, etc., are now iron if you can get a hold of it. And iron swords were stronger, less likely to break or bend during battle. And what's probably even more important, iron became harder the more it was worked with and repaired. It became stronger and stronger. I remember in the Israel Museum in Jerusalem seeing a, a series of Canaanite weapons. And there was like, up here, bronze ones, and down here, iron weapons. And we're talking about now thousands of years later, you could go, those are better than those. These things are practically gone. They've just kind of withered and disappeared, but those are still, they still look like they could do some, some damage. I mean, you've heard of bringing a knife to a gunfight. Well, maybe the phrase should be bringing a bronze sword to an Iron Age battle or wearing bronze armor to an Iron Age battle. This puppy right here, this chainmail. When Brandon was here this past week, he said, now this has stopped a knife. And I said, no, no, you mean this kind of thing has stopped knives. He's like, no, this one. And I said, that's a story. And he tells it better than me because he's a very good storyteller. But he said he was—he had made this, and he said, this is the tightest weave I've ever done. I bet this would stop anything. And he put it on his thigh, and a friend of his said, you think it would stop a knife? And he said, probably, before he could even finish the sentence, the like, stabbed him, and he even showed me the spot. I'll leave this back in, in the narthex if you want to try and find the spot where the knife was stopped by the chainmail. But it turned out, thankfully, to be impenetrable uh, so that our friend Brandon is still around. But that re- calls to mind that passage from Isaiah 54. No weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon forged against you will prevail, is how the ESV puts it. And that is a great promise, but it's not true if we're dressed in our own righteousness. That passage from Isaiah 61, remember, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He has to supply it or it will not protect us. When it comes to access to the Holy Throne Room of God, it's always pictured as being a garment of linen or something like that, you know, kind of what you would put on to go and meet the king. And in that context... Our righteousness is always pictured as filthy, manure-caked rags, while Christ's is clean, spotless linen. And when it comes to resisting the enemy, our righteousness would be that, like, Halloween costume armor I wore when I dressed up like a Roman soldier ten years ago on Easter. Remember that? I think it looked cool. I think Aaron thought it looked pretty good on me. (laughs) But it wouldn't have stopped anybody's sword, I'll tell you that. Well, Christ's righteousness is impenetrable. It's vibranium. We see both of these aspects in Zechariah 3. I know it's a passage I've brought up many times over the years, but it's been a while. It's such a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. It's a vision of of the throne room of God, And, and we see Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, that'd be Jesus to us, and Satan standing at the right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments. This is before Satan can even begin to accuse. Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here, access to the very throne room of God. Now, did you see both aspects here? The taking away of the filthy garments, the clothing him by, I mean, you know what my mom used to say to me? This makes no sense, but when she was getting me dressed, she'd she'd say, up in the oven, I'd put my arms up. That's what I meant, up in the oven, she'd put my shirt on. That's all we get from, from Joshua, right? He's not clothing himself. He takes off the, the filthy ones up in the oven, puts it on. He didn't do that. But then he says, if you will walk in my ways. You see, you're wearing the righteousness now. And if you're going to continue to be my, my mediator and come on the behalf of the people into my presence, you must, Live a life worthy of your calling, to put it in the language of Ephesians. We have both the made clean and the walking in the ways, the, the putting on, the receiving of righteousness and the putting it on. When Christ was in the desert being tempted by the devil, he was wearing all of this armor. And we will look at this a little bit uh, in, in weeks to come. We see it all at work, protecting him from the devil's schemes, ultimately driving the enemy away. Without righteousness... Without a life of holiness, or maybe that old word piety that we don't often use anymore, righteousness in all things, big and little, we can't stand against the devil. There will be chinks in our armor for the enemy to exploit, and he is great at it. You remember in 1 Kings 22, there's a great battle, and King Ahab is dressed up like any old soldier because he doesn't want to be singled out and killed. And we read an archer drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor, and that was it for old Ahab. He died real slow in a really gory uh, description in the book uh, in, in the book of First Kings. But it, it says literally the, the the phrase in the Hebrew is between the solder and the breastplate. Between the solder, I mean, like, it was at random. You, you couldn't have gotten a more unlucky shot right in the one weak spot. Well, we all have a chink or two or ten in our own armor. And the enemy is an expert at finding the weak point and aiming right for it. The, that point that you leave unguarded. You probably know what it is. If not, your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your neighbor or your best friend undoubtedly does. For David and Samson, it was lust. For Peter, it was pride and boasting. For Judas, it was avarice. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was the praise of men. But here is the good news. There are no chinks in the armor of this breastplate, Christ's righteousness. It is literally impenetrable and perfect. Because Christ's suffering and death and resurrection have satisfied everything every demand of divine justice and provided everything we need to live a life pleasing to god it's only when we loosen the armor or take it off entirely for a little stretch or switch it out for our own human righteousness that we become vulnerable to attack and offer the enemy a foothold remember that word foothold from ephesians 4 in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and give a foothold to the devil the idea of a, a little foothold is all he needs. A little chink in the armor, a little weakness. This makes me think of the, the legend of Achilles. Achilles, famous for having a heel. When Achilles was a baby, his mother dipped him into a mystical potion that made him invulnerable. Like Superman. Cool, it's that. Just one's good enough. Pulled him out. He's invulnerable now. Arrows bounce off. Swords bounce off. But when she dipped him in, I guess she was sort of creeped out by the potion and didn't want to get it on her. So she held him by the heel, and just the heel didn't go under. If she was Baptist, she would have made sure he was fully immersed, but apparently not. So when she took him out, he was completely protected, except for right back here, his Achilles tendon. Wow, what are the odds of that? And he was hit by an arrow there, and it led to his downfall and death. Well, what is our Achilles heel? It is any area we leave un- unprotected talk about a foothold right she was literally holding his foot that's why it made me think of it but for us any area we say you know what i i love the righteousness of christ but and james says whenever you're tempted you're enticed and dragged away by your own shameful desires i want a little of this other thing oh you know it's it's just it's kind of chafing right here let me loosen it roman armor was not famous for being super comfortable but it did keep one alive. If our righteousness is only external, we will fall. Because our enemy has an inside man in the battle. And that inside man is the old self. The flesh. The old you. Always willing to say, oh yeah, okay, let's team up on this one. If allowed. If, if there's entry allowed through a chink in the armor. In, in chapter 4, verse 25, all the way through chapter 5, verse 4, in about a dozen verses, Paul gives us a pretty comprehensive picture of the appetites of this old self. Falsehood, anger, stealing, filthy talk, bitterness, rage, fighting, slander, malice, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, and on and on. These are the bait in the schemes of the devil. Because he knows the truth of what the apostle wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 3. All of us also lived among the disobedient at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And he says, I want to find where that still lives. And I want to find that weak point, And I want to use it to bring this saint down. But these things do not apply to the new self, only to the old self. So put on the breastplate of righteousness and see the enemy's attacks bounce right off. That means you must once again abandon all reliance on your own righteousness, your own judgment of what is right and wrong in the moment, as well as the culture's, because guess what? Both will lie to you. One of my favorite comics recently was by Adam Ford. Check his stuff out, Adam 4d.com uh get get it ford uh and and uh he's talking to his mother a little boy and says uh what do you think i should do it's such a hard decision she says well just follow your heart and he says well heart what's it gonna be and then the the heart's like shriveled and gross and has a backwards ball cap on like that one meme and he goes sin and then the kid goes Don't look within, don't look without to the world. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and know you will be protected. But that's dealing with temptation. Half the attacks of the enemy are not rooted in tempting us at all. In fact, while he's called the tempter a couple times in Scripture, our enemy is more frequently called devil, diabolos, which means slanderer. Or Satan, which means adversary or accuser, both in a general sense and more specifically in like a courtroom sense, they're to accuse, like in Zechariah 3, they're to point out your weaknesses and use that to condemn you and bring you down. Tempting is one thing. Condemning you and completely uh, neutralizing you is all the better from the enemy's point of view. But for those who are wearing the breastplate, as we read in Romans 8, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, considering how often we're told to put on Jesus as a garment to be clothed in Christ, it's really only a bit of a stretch, I think, to consider this being in the armor, in the breastplate, to being in Christ and therefore out of the reach of condemnation. That word devil, diabolos, really woodenly, if you take the two parts of it, it means to throw across or to throw through he's lobbing accusations he's throwing them we went and saw the hey here's the sports illustration we went and saw the the lug nuts the other night some of these fastballs are coming at 98 miles an hour and i remember thinking i like going to the batting cage and stuff but you couldn't pay me enough to stand out there guys are getting hit all over and, 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 you know, there was, it was a wild night for pitching. And I thought, man, that's really, it's kind of a dangerous sport at the end of the day. These things are coming thrown across. But for those of us who have the armor on, a 98-mile-per-hour fastball from the enemy is no problem. And perhaps if this is your thing, it might help when you are tempted either to sin or to despair and consider yourself condemned and under condemnation to visualize these these 98 mile per hour fireballs coming from the enemy hitting this righteousness of christ that you are wearing as a breastplate and fizzling out into nothing there is no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus the idea of a breastplate is a pretty broad idea i ran you through a bunch of different versions And as we've seen, the concept of righteousness is a rather broad term with a range of meanings. But at the core is this one seed, this one germ. Righteousness is to live unto God, just as sin is to live unto self. At the core of both of these things, you find that germ, that seed. All the far-reaching branches of either sin or righteousness can be traced back to living unto God, or living unto self and we walk around in a world where there is a constant danger of being attacked by the enemy of being tempted to live unto ourselves of being condemned for the times that we have and we may be tempted to say you know what i will become like bubble boy and just withdraw and not interact with anyone what if i try to share my faith and someone says oh i know about the time you x y or z and then i'm spinning out what about the condemnation these things are, are, are small, these seeds, but they can come in through any hole. Listen, even, even through here, there are things that can come through. What if you saw somebody wearing one of these puppies as like a face mask during the height of COVID-19? You would have said, that's not doing any good. Funny, cool idea, but it's not doing you any good. These, these openings are too big. Well, the weave of the breastplate of righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus is not going to permit any of the enemy's darts or arrows or sword strikes to come through. Second Thessalonians 3.3, 3, The Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. God has promised his protection against the powers of darkness. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not yours, but Christ's. And know that you stand protected. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this armor of God The armor that we we see the Messiah wearing in Isaiah and then that we are are granted access to here in Ephesians 6. Lord, we pray that we would not put it away in a drawer and think, I'll put that on someday. We would not fall into this trap that much of the church has that only those next level overachieving Christians really live in righteousness. The rest of us just rely on quote-unquote grace and what we mean is license. Lord, we pray we would not fall into that trap but that where we have let our armor begin to sag or taken it off entirely or replaced it with our own version of righteousness, Lord, we pray you would convict us and rearm us for the battle. We thank you that we have these opportunities to open your word together and see just how you have prepared the way, how you have not left us out here without help, but how you have prepared us for the battle, you have equipped us, And Lord, we pray that we would take advantage of every piece of the armor of God, starting here with the breastplate of righteousness. In your holy name we pray. Amen.